Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for being the faithful Father that you are. Thank you for your grace for another week. Thank you most of all for your faithfulness to us in providing so great a salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the fact that our dear Lord Jesus was faithful and endured the cross even becoming sin for us, He who knew no sin. Thank You that He finished that work and that we can enter into it by grace through faith and become new creations in Christ. And today, Lord, as we sit here, we open our Bibles to receive once again what You have for us, recognizing that You created us and You did not leave us alone. You've given us instruction. You've given us directives. And thank You for the encouraging Word that we have. Thank You for the insight that Your Word gives us, making us wiser than all of our teachers. Thank You that Your ways are perfect. And thank You that as we live them out in obedience, we experience in life the reality that Your Word works. And that it's a good system. And it's all part of Your loving care for us. Today, Father, may mothers be encouraged and may... Fathers and husbands and children, learn the value once again or remind ourselves of the value once again of the women in our homes. We commit ourselves now to the hearing of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you just really needed God to solve your problem. Have you recognized that? You know, the scriptures are full of these stories, aren't they? A couple that came to my mind quickly were, uh, of course, Moses and what we say the children of Israel as they fled Egypt and the tyranny of the Pharaoh. And there they were in the northern part of the desert and they're hemmed in by mountains, they're hemmed in by deserts, they have uh, the, the Red Sea in front of them. And as they look back, they recognize that Pharaoh has commanded his army to come after them. And there they stand, essentially trapped by the sea, and a huge, mighty army coming in to crush them. And as they cry out to God, what does He do? That great miracle of parting the water. He parted the water. And sometimes we'll even think that, Lord, I need you to part the water for me here. And it's not literal water, but it goes back to that time when God rescued His people in just the nick of time, right? Do you think God got nervous about that? I doubt it. Actually, I know he didn't. I was thinking about what we say, the story of the three Hebrew children. They were young men, I'm sure, uh, more than children. The three young men that were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, taken on up into what would be present-day Baghdad, really, in Iraq. That's Nebuchadnezzar's stomping ground. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar erects that huge 90-foot-high totem pole of himself, cranks up the band, tells everybody when the music starts, bow down or you're going to get tossed in the fiery blazing furnace. And those three guys, 
stand there fearing God more than they fear men. And it gets them a personal invitation face to face with O King Nebuchadnezzar. And he gives them one more chance to bow down to his image. And they said, uh, nope, not going to do it. And so, of course, remember the story. He has them, he thinks, executed throwing them into the fire, and even in present-day Iraq, I understand, and I've seen pictures, these huge kiln furnaces that are made out of clay, that are big mound, and uh, they have a big door in the side, and either they took them up the top and threw them through the smoke hole, or they threw them in the side, but the fire was so hot at Nebuchadnezzar's command, do you recall, that the soldiers who threw these guys in there, do you remember their names, by the way? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Do you recognize those names? You, we always want to say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were their given Hebrew names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their pagan names that Nebuchadnezzar gave them. I'll bet they didn't call each other by those names. There they are, and the soldiers who threw them in the furnace, the fire was so hot, remember... Killed the soldiers. That's a hot fire. And do you remember the next part of the story? It's tremendous. As old Nebuchadnezzar's looking in that furnace hole and in the fire, there they are, and they're not burning up. And he counts one, two, three guys we threw in there, and yet there's a fourth one, isn't there? You know who that was? That was our commander in chief, the Lord Jesus, in a pre incarnate. Visitation coming alongside his men there. And there he was. And it says when, they, when he beckons them to come out of the furnace, all they lost were the ropes that had bound them. God is great at knowing just what we need at just the right time, isn't he? Well, that's the mindset I want you to have as we return to Genesis this morning for kind of a long introduction to our Mother's Day message. And uh, for those of you who are new, we're starting through a new study. We're about four weeks into the book of Genesis. And today we're going to use it as a launching pad. And we're actually going to revisit these verses in more detail as we look at some really important cultural and sociological implications and ramifications for the United States of America today based upon these verses. But for today, I just want us to particularly jump ahead in the story. And I want to see what's going on in Adam's life. And I want us to have a greater appreciation for the great big favor that God did all of us when he created a woman. And for Adam, I know he wasn't in a fire, and I know he wasn't hemmed in by an army against the sea, but at just the right time, the Lord opened his eyes and made him realize, you need help, buddy, and help is on the way. And it was his wife who became the mother of his children, I want to encourage you moms today to appreciate what a special person you are in God's design and in God's plan. What you're to mean to your husbands, what you're to mean to your homes, what you're to mean to your children, and what you're to mean to the church and the community if you find yourself in a single state. Do not minimize who you are. Our culture has tried to do all kinds of things, and this is what we'll talk about later, to make women equal with men and so forth and so on. And men and women are equal in God's God's eyes in value. We have different roles. Don't let our culture convolute and mess up your mind. 
I want you to see what value you bring to all of us today. Let's begin with Adam and let's begin by reading God's Word. And we're going to read in Genesis chapter 2. We're not quite here yet, but you need to understand that when we get to Genesis chapter 2, that Genesis chapter 1 has completed six days of creation. And then Genesis chapter 2 begins to repeat some of the information that was given in Genesis chapter 1. And basically, by and large, Genesis chapter 2 is kind of a blow-up in detail of the sixth day of creation. Okay? That's the way to understand it. Because it was so important how he created man and woman. He gives more detail. All right? And I think we should stand and stretch a minute here. It's been a while since we've stood, and let's read God's Word together. Will you stand with me? Let's read God's Word together. Um, you follow along, and I'll read out loud. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to begin with verse 15 and read through the end of the chapter. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh, and then the Lord made, God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame." Thank you. You may be seated. As you're seated, will you glance over to chapter 1, please? And I want you to notice how chapter 1 is finishing on day 6, where it says in verse 26 and 27, let's review there, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. And remember, we had a whole message on how people are not animals, because we're created in the image of God, and what an important dynamic that is. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Look, male and female, he created them. It then goes on to describe the rest of the day, giving them all of the seed-bearing plants for food. And then it says... That it was so, at the end of verse 30, and it was so, just the way God said it. And then verse 31, and God saw all that he had made, and notice, and this is a repeated phrase. Remember, we talked about the repeated phrases. And God saw that it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then he goes into chapter 2, and that's what we just read, was an expanded version of what happened sometime on the afternoon or early evening, I suspect, of the sixth day of the week. It's interesting, isn't it, how God does things? If God knew he was going to rescue Moses 
and the children of Israel from the Red Sea, why didn't he just direct them a different direction? Why did he have to back them up against the sea? If he knew he wasn't going to let the three young Hebrew men burn in the furnace, why didn't he just keep them from going in there to begin with? Well, God has all kinds of lessons for us to learn, doesn't He? And God is always at work revealing Himself to us, showing us His wisdom, showing us His sovereignty, showing us that His ways always work. And I say it a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but oh, Adam has himself in a fix here. He's all alone, and he needs rescued. He's got a problem. No, he's not going to be drowned in the sea, and he's not going to burn in the furnace. But oh, Adam's got a problem, and I don't even think he recognizes it. Every once in a while I get this feeling that maybe Adam had. My wife Janet uh, has an annual trip. I reference it every once in a while. Just a couple weeks ago I referenced that she was gone with her girlfriends for about 12 or 13 years, or over 10 years anyway. These three of her friends and, and her, three and her friends and she, three and her friends and her go on this trip. And um, they usually go to Williamsburg, you know, and Shop, 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 and talk, 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 and eat, 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 and it's fun, fun, fun. You know, a girl's trip, and they have a great time. And often when they leave town, it's on Friday morning. And Friday is generally the day that I take as a, try to take it as a day off. And so sometimes around 9 or 10 in the morning on Friday when the other girls are coming through from Martinsburg to pick her up and go, and they're very excited, and I help her carry her bag out and load them up and uh, say bye-bye and kiss her, and they get in the car, and see you later, laugh, 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 and off they go, you know. Don't forget the, you know. And I kind of stand there in the driveway, and whenever mom's gone for an extended period of time, all of a sudden, everything about our whole place changes. I just have problems. Nothing quite seems right. My work ethic leaves me. I don't want to cook. Everything changes. It's just not right. And you know, that's a little bit how I know God understood things to be. And I don't know if Adam quite felt it, but look at chapter 2, verse 18. Because we have here a phrase that we haven't seen yet in the passage. We have seen repeatedly, and God saw that it was, say the word with me, good, very good. But in 2.18... God in His infinite wisdom looks at the man all by himself in the garden and think about it, Adam had had probably much of the day to wander in the garden. God had showed him around. God had pointed out which tree not to eat from. And then God makes an observation and He says in 2.18, and it's something we haven't heard yet. And then the Lord said, Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. The God... The God of all wisdom, the God of all creative power, He could have easily created both of them at the same time, couldn't He? But He decided to create the man. And one of the reasons I'm convinced is part of what my goal is this morning is He wanted Adam to appreciate what He was going to do for him. And men, we need to be careful to appreciate the woman, the woman that God has brought into our lives. Children, we need to appreciate our mother. What a great concept this is. God says, it's not good for this guy to be alone. But then notice verse 19, he doesn't create the woman right away. He has a job for Adam to do. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. 
And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. You know, a lot of people don't like the Bible because of points like this. And they'll point at something like that and say, there's no way he could do that. Well, I don't know. Why not? You don't know how it was. You weren't there. And furthermore, in chapter 6, I'm going to preach a message how the Lord's going to line them all up two by two and run them up a loading dock right into a boat. And I believe that really happened. And I really believe exactly what happened. Adam walked around the garden, and maybe by a stream of water or a pond of water, there was lots of animals there. And then when he walked down a trail, just all kinds of birds. And then there was the livestock. So even in the Garden of Eden, there was some kind of a domesticated type of large animal, sheep, goat, or cattle, and the world's still filled with them today, and they don't cross with grizzly bear. And then there's the wild animals that he named. And so he looked across the plain, maybe there was a a grassy part, and there were lions and bears and tigers and elephants, and I don't know what all was there. And he spent, maybe he spent five, six hours walking around, and, and I take it that Adam in this state would be highly intelligent. And if God gave him a task to do, he totally equipped him to do it, and as Adam walked around, the thoughts must have just spilled out of him as he identified the animals. And that's one, re- one thing God was doing. He was using a- Adam to, to bring an identity to the animal world. He was also, I think, establishing authority of Adam over the animal world. But I think he was also doing something else. I think he was giving Adam a crash course on sensitivity training. Here's what I mean by that. As Adam walked around, you know, hmm, Impala, yeah, it's a good name. Oh, that's an elephant right there. That's got to be an elephant. Look at the tail. Look at the trunk. Look at it, you know. You know, oh, that's a parrot. Parrot, look at the beak on that thing. That's a hawk. You knew that was a hawk, didn't you? Yeah. Turkey's over there in the brush, and he just walked around and named the animals, Right? pretty neat. I wish I could have been there. Wouldn't you love to have been there, Mr. Woody? It'd been awesome, wouldn't it? He's naming the animals, but what is God doing? Now notice all that to say this. As Adam looks out there, it had to begin to occur to him that among all of God's living creatures that he had created in the animal kingdom, they were designed in pairs, not identical pairs, but in complementary fit pairs. Why, he saw a mallard drake duck swimming over there, and he said, that's a mallard drake duck right there. Green head, white ring around his neck. And look at, next to him, a little bit smaller, much the same body shape, but in beautiful but yet much more muted color is a hen. Listen, that's not the evolutionary process going on. God beautifully designed a hen mallard who nests on the ground next to the pond in the bulrushes and in the weeds to blend right in. So that sitting over her young nest of eggs and under, over her young to protect them, unless he smelled them, that old fox is going to walk around. He never sees her. Just blends right in. The hawk flying overhead looks down and never sees. Blending into the carpet of the grass, a hen mallard over her eggs. And Adam figures this out and he knows why the buck deer, he grows horns. But the mama deer, she doesn't have horns and there's other differences there that he noticed and... 
Perhaps he even began to look at his own physical features. And it says in verse 20, now look back in the Word of God, the last half of verse 20, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Suitable means complementary. It means also very much comparable. The idea that we fit together, two things that go together. We're going to have a whole message on why God didn't create a man for his partner. We're going to talk about some of the ramifications of the creative order here and how they still stand today as our standard, regardless of what our society is trying to teach us. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Adam's in a fix and doesn't even know it. Adam doesn't know that he needs a woman, but he's starting to figure it out, and I think that God wanted to show him You are lacking. You are not complete. You think you can handle it on your own, but you can't. You think you've got it all together, but you don't. Isn't that the way we men think? We think we know everything, but you don't. In fact, your life will come unglued if I don't give you this woman. And let me show you what I'm going to give you. And he puts Adam to sleep, into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. The word in the Hebrew really isn't rib. We think of a bone, don't we? Um, Part of his side. It really means side, that out of his side. And the word also includes flesh. So she, God, God took it out of his side, flesh and maybe bone, I don't know, and formed Eve. Isn't it interesting? God took soil, formed it into a man, and then breathed into the breath of life, and then he put the man to sleep and formed out of his side, his flesh, the woman. What a beautiful way to do it. We're the same stuff. What do you mean we're not equal? We're made out of the same stuff. We are one. And that's exactly what he goes on to say. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And notice if you have an NIV particularly, or a a more modern translation, they then indent verse 23 because it's, it's poetry. In the Hebrew it comes through in the poetry. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual intimacy that is unsurpassed in any other relationship. And the man needed the woman, and the woman needed the man. After the first service, Sandy Carter said, Pastor Van, I want to tell you what my pastor in our other church said when he was preaching on this. He said, why, why Adam called her woman is because when he woke up and God brought Eve to him and he looked up and he had been naming the animals all that afternoon, he looked at her and he went, he went whoa, man. You get it? I thought it was pretty good. And I think it's pretty true. The reason it's in poetical form here is he sang a song or he quoted poetry. It's like, wow, you are me. You are my partner, beautifully suited for me. Let me ask you a question. Do you appreciate what God did when he gave you a wife, men? Children, do you appreciate what God has done when he brought a mother into your world? Actually, it's the other, you know, you wouldn't be here without her, but you think God brought her into your world. Well, that's really our introduction for just a few minutes of final message. And I want you now to switch gears and go with me to Proverbs chapter 31. Very abrupt, not not much of a segue there. 
go from Genesis. And what I've wanted to do here, and I hope I've done it, is to build a case for the fact that Adam was incomplete and unsuited for living without his wife. And that what Adam needed was a woman in his world. And I want to accomplish a couple things now as we conclude with this great passage on the Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31, beginning with verse 10. I want us to recognize as the men, as the husbands, as the fathers here, I want us to value at a much deeper level than maybe we take for granted the wife and mother God has given us. And wives and moms, I want you to appreciate the great impact that you make upon a home. And that when God designed it way back in the Garden of Eden, He knew what He was doing. It's no good for this man to be alone. He needs a woman. And the two together are God's beautiful design for raising a family. In fact, we could have even looked in Genesis 1, where God told Adam to reproduce and populate and fill the earth. He couldn't even carry out his task until he had a wife. And that was part of it, why God gave it to him. This is an interesting passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 31. I think that a lot of moms and women are intimidated by this passage. You read it, and it makes you tired. You think... I can't do that. Well, let me take a little pressure off you. I think that you do all of this stuff all the time. But don't forget, the Bible was written in a cultural context. doesn't make it less true for us today. But you have to understand the cultural ramifications of a passage of Scripture. And when I read this passage, you know what I picture? I picture a lot the African women that I see in Malawi. You see, this is a Middle Eastern culture. 2,000, more than that, 3,000 years ago. Okay, almost. It was a different world. It was a different culture. For example, he's going to talk about how strong this woman is in here. You know, she didn't go to Gold's Gym and work out. She carries five-gallon pails of water on her head. You grow up carrying three, four, five gallons of water on your head, walking around. You get strong. He talks about her getting up before it's daylight. He's like, oh, I hate to get up. I'm so tired. I finally got those kids out. You know, and I just want my cup of tea and watch the Good Morning Show when I got the kids off to school or whatever. And she's up before daylight. Listen, if you lived in the kind of house she lived in, a lot like the, the mud homes that are in Malawi, and you had to sleep on the hard ground or an uncomfortable bed, or if you had goats that lived in half of your house... And you shut down because to save oil, they would shut down at dark. So you got 12 hours of darkness half the year. And for 12 hours, it was pitch dark. By, by morning, everybody's cold. And, and, and you get up and you got to cook on a fire. And you want to have breakfast? You'd be out of bed too, getting the fire going. Just like those African ladies do. It's the cultural context. But I think there are some principles here of God's design for what this woman brings to her home that you can apply to your lives today. You young women can use it as a model that these are the dynamics that I want to bring to my home. You young men who don't have a wife, if you're dating a girl that doesn't have any of these things going for her, drop her like a hot potato. (laughs) But she'll cry. Yeah, but you'll cry a lot more if you don't drop her. (laughs) And some of you moms who feel undervalued, Recognize the dynamic that you bring to the home and how unsuited your husband is for all of these things. 
And you husbands, you better wake up and smell the coffee if you don't appreciate your wife. You maybe have been watching too much TV and movies, longing for some kind of artificial relationship that's impossible. And you better value the woman God gave you because you are so unsuited to living alone. Take it from a guy who knows. You should have seen my college dorm room. I think I washed my bedding twice in one whole year. It's terrible. I'm no good at living alone. Proverbs chapter 31, begin with verse 10. I'm going to get, click off eight characteristics of this woman and what she brings to the home that make her a suitable helper to her man in the spirit of which Eve was a suitable helper to Adam. A wife of noble character, who can find? Proverbs 31.10. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. What I see in verses 10 through 12 is the quality of integrity. This is a godly woman of integrity. Look at here. Her husband has full confidence in her. Do you know how often I have people who sit across from my desk from me and the tears roll down the cheeks and they tell me stories about doing things like losing their cell phone on purpose because their spouse calls them up every 10 minutes when they carry a cell phone and say, what are you doing now? Where are you at now? What are you doing now? He's driving me crazy. She's driving me nuts. Because trust has been broken and violated and there's no confidence, but not this woman. This man values her above his bank account and he has full confidence in her. When he's off to work all day long, he's not worried what she's doing because she's a woman of integrity. She's trustworthy. She's real. And she brings him, verse 12, good and not harm all the days of her life. What a woman. Notice now the next section, 13 through 19. She selects, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. And she is like the merchant ships bringing her food. From, she said, Pastor Van, see what I mean about this passage? It's like, now I've got to go home. I've got to find wool. I've got to find flax. And then I'm supposed to be like a merchant ship. What does that mean? Just relax, okay? You don't have to go get wool. You don't have to go get flax. It's cultural. We don't, you know, can knit some wool hunting socks for your husband or something. And some of these things, even your grandmother knew more about 70, 80 years ago, even in American culture, but culture shifts. But what is the principle? She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She says, see, Pastor Van, I can't do that. I don't know how to use a shovel. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. Wonder Woman. In her hand, she holds the distaff. What in the world is a distaff? And she grasps the spindles with her fingers. If that's not enough, pick up verse 24 along with 13 through 19. She makes linen garments. I don't even know what linen is. And sells them. I can't sew, Pastor Van. And supplies the merchants with sashes. And if that's not enough, look at 27. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Listen. 
You don't have to go sew your own clothes if you don't want to. But what I see here is that this woman is not only characterized by integrity, that's her inner character, but in her work ethic, she's characterized by productivity in her life. She is busy about the affairs of her home. She is productive in her home front. Apply it to whatever culture you want. And you think, but I don't sew clothes. Talk about sewing clothes. Listen, do you know how short my boy's pants legs would get before he got a new pair of trousers if it weren't for mom at my house? She's the one that's always bringing home, I've got another pair of school trousers. His other ones are shot in the knee. Well, I didn't even notice that. See, she went and, she went and got her spindle and she made pants. No, she went to Kohl's or whatever and got them. That's what we do in our culture. But it was mom who did it. Harry Strauss, sitting back where Kevin Tucker is in the early service. Kevin Tucker's there now. In the early service, Harry Strauss always sits there. He's one of the oldest men in our church. He's 85 years old. He'll be 85 in just a few months. Sharp as a tack. And when I shook his hand this morning, he looked up at me and looked me over. And he said, uh, where'd you get that mortician suit? (laughs) It's like... Well, actually, about four of my suits are at the cleaners, and I forgot to go get them because my wife didn't remind me, and uh, it's not your fault, it's my fault, and so I'm wearing my black suit today. You know what my wife says? She says, I get tired of seeing you in the same suit all the time. She's the one who notices, you need some new shirts, you need some new trousers. You see, she might not be... She's the one who's overseeing all of these needs in our home. If it was left to me, it would be disastrous. It would be the most miserable place to live. I do know enough to wash colors separate from whites. But my whites never turn out quite as white as Janet's whites. You know, when she does the laundry. She's better at all of these things. Characterized by productivity. When she's home and I'm home on my day off, I get way more done on my day off than when she's not home. She cares about the home. She encourages me to be productive. She's the one who wants our yard to look nice and make it nice. Not that I don't want it to look nice, but she's the one watching over the home. You know what? I need that. My mind is so occupied and so busy at the city gates, as you would say here. I don't have time to look at this house. Look, here's our home. Here's our. Who's it that says we need family time? I'd be off playing on the softball team. We need family time. She's overseeing her home. She's productive. She's the one that makes sure we don't run out of milk, cereal, bread, hamburger in the freezer. That's all about her. I don't do that stuff. All I do is growl when it's not there. <laughs> Productivity. Look at verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Thirdly, she's characterized, this woman is, as sensitive, for, with sensitivity and generosity. Sensitivity and generosity. Isn't that one reason God gave us a woman, men? To enhance our ability to be sensitive. She's the one that gives us the elbow. Don't say that. Don't do that. Sensitive to relationships. Sensitivity and generosity. She's the one that ladles some extra soup into a container and says, take this to so-and-so. I think you would like it. Generosity. 
That's what I need in my woman. When it snows, verse 21, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. I put the word security down on that one. I don't have to worry about what's happening. She's the one that comes home in, in April with a bag and says, you want to see what I bought today? Sure. It's a nice winter ski jacket for Jonathan. Honey, it's summertime. We don't need that. I know, I bought it for next year. I wouldn't be buying jackets in April. It would already snow and the boy would say, Daddy, I'm cold before I figure, oh, you will put one of my jackets on. No. My family is secure because my wife is watching all the time over the needs of our household. You don't get that from dad. Not in the same way. No way, shape, or form. Integrity, productivity, sensitivity, and generosity, security. Look at verse 22. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Coverings for her bed. Clothed in purple and fine linen. That speaks to me of beauty and quality. Beauty and quality. We have a little rule at our house where the last one out of bed is supposed to make the bed, has to make the bed. It kind of falls on them. Sometimes on my day off, of sleeping in a little bit or something, Janet's up with Jonathan ahead of me a little bit, and I have to make the bed. Do you know how many coverings we have on our bed? <laughs> Do you know how many pillows? I should count them sometimes. If there's not eight or ten, uh, I'm... I'd be surprised. Pillows on top of pillows with little pillows on top of that and they graduate down to little pillows. And then another covering at the foot of the bed that you're not allowed to sit on, touch, or use. I got an Eddie Bauer down sleeping bag in my closet. Take care of all my wintertime needs if I need it. I don't need all that stuff. Every once in a while, i got to get in there and hike up that big old mattress. So you got to get that little frilly mattress pad, uh, um, dust ruffle. You know what I'm talking, dust ruffle. You know, I really like all that stuff, really. Don't tell anybody, but there's a part in my masculinity that really loves femininity. But I ain't good at producing it. And I'm so glad I have a wife that does all that. I'd even paint my house two weekends in a row if she wanted me to. Just to make it pretty. Beauty and quality. We'd be living in an old rough sawn lumber shed if it was up to me and Jonathan probably. And notice what she brings to the house, verse 23. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. And there's some people pointing out, look at this. Somebody knows... Somebody needs to go kick that old duff in the backside and get him to work. He's out there sitting at the city gate and his wife's home working her finger to the bone. That's not the picture at all here. This guy is a respected leader in his city and business is transacted at the city gate. That's where it all happens. This guy is up and at it and working hard. And the reason he can, the next word I put down for number six is stability. Verse 23, she contributes literally to the success of her husband's. Any guys out there that would bear witness with me and say, I wouldn't be half the man I am if it wasn't for the woman God gave me. Our home would be a site and a wreck and a place of instability for our children if it wasn't for my wife. You think that doesn't matter? What would happen if all of a sudden all the moms left? 
It wouldn't be pretty. It would be very unstable. By the way, I wanted to mention that this passage of Scripture in the Hebrew is written, every verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And as he's praising his wife, he went through the Hebrew alphabet and, you know, A, B, C, whatever they are. What are they, Willem? You can check in with Willem later if it's not A, B, and C. Integrity, productivity, sensitivity, and generosity, security, beauty, and quality, stability. Two more, finally and briefly. Number seven, maturity. Look at verse 26. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She is a mature woman and she speaks well. She mentors other women. She's raising up her children and teaching them. Every once in a while I have to say in our home, Jonathan, you be quiet and stop talking and you listen to your mother. She knows what she's talking about. You do what she says. Sometimes I have to remind myself to humble my heart, to shut my mouth and open my ears and listen when she wants to tell me something. We used to drive home from C.W. Shipley to Martinsburg before we moved over here, and she'd whip out her bulletin where she had written down everything I did wrong that morning and go down her little list. Took me a while, but I got there finally. I'm a much better man because of it. She has wisdom. She can give instruction. She knows a lot about a lot. She has maturity and insight. I need to listen. Verse 30 is kind of the key to her. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Number eight, she's characterized by spirituality. She fears God. She fears the Lord. I don't know where you'd be today without the mom, the wife, the mother, the woman in your life. But I know that when God looked at me... Much like he looked at Adam, he saw that my life was about to come unglued and it just wasn't good. And he said, I have a woman for you. And he brought a woman into my life of integrity, productivity, sensitivity and generosity, security, beauty and quality, stability, maturity and spirituality. And I wonder if I do like her husband did. Look what it says. Verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed her husband also, and he praises her. Husbands, when is the last time you praised your wife? Praise is very motivational, isn't it? This woman is what she is because her children and her husband love her and they praise her. Not only that, verse 31 says, give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Not only does her family praise her, but the whole community knows about her and praises her. Is she Wonder Woman? Is she Superwoman? No, she's just taking care of her family. She's just doing what, what a whole bunch of moms at Fellowship Bible Church do every day, every week. Characterized by these qualities, overseeing her home, providing the stability that her husband needs, Raising her children in a godly environment. Listen, I inferred it earlier. I'll emphasize it again. If you're a young woman, this is a great list for you. These eight qualities. Ask God to make you more than charming, but that your beauty would come from within and be this God-fearing woman that will make a wonderful wife and mother. 
And young men, if you haven't found a wife yet, use that as your list. Integrity, productivity, sensitivity, generosity, security, beauty, quality, stability, maturity, spirituality. And if she's not any of those things, did I already say it? Drop her like a hot potato. You don't need her. You become the man that's worthy to sit at the city gates and you wait on the woman that God has for you. Husbands, you go home and you appreciate these qualities in your wife. And moms, wives, don't get discouraged. Your role is vital. When God looked at us men without a woman in our life, He said, that's no good. He's got to have a woman. But listen, don't let your charm, remember that charm is deceitful. Beauty is fleeting. A woman who fears the Lord, she is worthy to be praised. And we praise you today. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace and your good hand upon us and your sovereign plan of solving our problems in this way. Where would we be without our mothers? Thank you for this model of this woman that is given to us in the wisdom literature. Father, encourage the hearts of mothers today. Help them not to be overwhelmed. Help them to just be steady at it, faithfully being the women that you want them to be. Help us husbands to praise them, children to honor them, and may we see Christ transforming our families and may a watching world be puzzled by what's going on at our home because of the order and the godliness and the beauty of our homes that Christ may be seen in us. Father, help the moms to be found faithful and to continually minister with a spirit of faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.